0: Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture.
1: And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha.
0: Partha, I'm sitting here looking out the window at about 18 inches of snow. I guess you don't miss uh miss ohio too much right at this not
1: an ounce dude i'm looking out the window at sunshine and trees
0: yeah but you can't have snowball fight in there take care don't
1: need a snowball fight bro i'll fly (laughs) to colorado if i need one
0: (laughs) (laughs) well let's get into it man it's a it's it's been another interesting week with some news and tidbits we try to try to filter some stories out that we can have real conversation and dialogue on let's get into it
1: all right so You know, the first piece is from one of my favorite players, Draymond Green, uh, talking about a double standard between trades on players and teams. Uh, Basically, that when a team trades a player, everyone's like, oh, it's business. Uh, When players choose to get traded, everyone's like, oh, they're being a diva. They're being dramatic. Like, they shouldn't do that. They should honor their contract. So, you know, there's a couple ways to look at this. I just want to paint some color. First of all, you know, players definitely deal with a double standard on that front. It definitely exists. But not all situations fall into that scenario. So what James Harden did, what Kawhi Leonard did to get out of San Antonio, those are, in my mind, going against the deal that you signed in good faith and not handling the situation properly because with great communication even if you sign an agreement with somebody else people in general are reasonable if you sit down with your gm and your owner and you say hey this isn't it for me and i know i signed this agreement but how can we resolve this so i can go play basketball somewhere else but at the same time you know we don't hurt your franchise in a major way i want to make sure that i leave it better than i came you know that's that's a better way to handle that situation than just saying hey i'm not going to play until you trade me, and I'm going to go to the strip club and violate all the rules.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's where the line gets drawn, right? And how you handle a disagreement with your company or corporation. And the truth is, you know, I, I sympathize with Dream what well, with, with what Draymond is saying, um, specifically in the Andre Drummond situation, right? Like the guy wants to play basketball, and you're sitting him because you want to save his value for a trade. That's that's some bullshit, right?
1: There. Yeah, 100%. Because you're
0: also paying, but it is bullshit. But the helpful way to look at this thing is that these owners are paying for these players' salaries, right? And when you sign a guaranteed four-year contract, you're signing up for some security there. If you want to be able to dictate what you want to do on a shorter scale, do be smart like LeBron and KD, how they structure their contracts, right? They structure their contracts in a way that they're not tied long-term to the team so that they can go in two years if things aren't going well, they'll have an opt-out clause or they feel differently. They have an opt-out clause. So you can't have it both ways. If you want five years of guaranteed money and security, you're also signing up for the fact that the owner is paying your Exorbitant salary. And so, therefore, they have more rights and more power what to do with you than you do as a player once you sign up for that contract. So, that's kind of the dilemma. I think sometimes this is like a lot of things in our our culture. We look at it as either or, right? It's either you're in one basket area or the other. But I think it's important to paint context in these scenarios and give the whole picture of, of how this thing is structured and set up.
1: Right, 100%. And look, if you wanted to play basketball and you didn't want a coach to control your playing time, you didn't want you know, the, the circumstances that come with playing in the NBA, then don't take the contract. Don't make millions of dollars, right? But yeah. if you're guaranteed, even if you get hurt, even if whatever the heck happens that you're going to get some portion of that contract, there has to be give and take to that deal. You just can't yeah. have it your way every single time. And to your point that's that's where the failing is. It's not just in sports, this is business in general yep you you have to honor the agreements you go into, and you have to understand that it's a mutual compromise every time you enter a deal. It's not negotiation is not you taking from somebody else and always trying to find ways to take take take, but it's about working yep. together to create something bigger,
0: yep, and I think you're you're a hundred percent right in that in communication and conversation is is important you have to look at your whatever organization you're in whether it's a business or a sports franchise and say this is the situation that I'm in now and I need to have and create relationships that are conducive to both sides getting what they want creating animosity between you and the ownership group and this kind of like high stakes like boycotting and things that are happening specifically that we're seeing in sports I think we're setting an unhealthy precedent because a lot of times these guys are getting exactly what they want while not behaving in ways that any employee in regular corporate America could get away with and and still have a job.
1: Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. So you know, I I think that's that's one of those that you see it both ways, but. At the end of the day, Draymond's one of those guys, it's funny because he would never ever conduct himself in that way, right? No, so that's he why he's upset about a double standard, because you know, he's he's seen probably a ton of peers go through the same situation where they've struggled and you know they've wanted to get out but couldn't.
0: Yep. Yep, yep. And it's good. What Draymond did is healthy, right? And I don't think the NBA should be censoring uh these players and finding them for saying things like this, because he sat down, he he explained his thinking and his logic and why, whether you agree or disagree with it, that conversation is important to have. Maybe a press conference after the game may not be it, but the NBA and the players need to say, how can we communicate consistently like this so that we have an open platform for us to have communication and fix issues that we have, not just, hey, shut up. And yeah
1: one well, and, and also i mean i guess that's what the millions of dollars pays for is it censors some element of your speech but yeah i also feel that you know if if you're at the press conference after a game right and you have to speak to the press as an athlete yeah you should be able to say whatever the heck you want yeah even if it's against the league even if it's against the team you should have the freedom of speech in that situation where you're not going to get fined unless you know the the Tampering rules with getting a player to your team. That makes sense. But Draymond calling out, you know, the fact that when a player does this, it's visible. It's all over the news. They get railed on it. Everybody hates on them on social media. When an owner does this and when the owner acts in bad faith, and I think this is really where his point is, Yet, nobody knows and they cover it up and the player's stuck.
0: Why do you think us as the consumer, the fans, the audience, does this right because they'll they'll jump in the fire when a player do you do you think it's because they feel more attachment to the players than the ownership or do you think that there really is even a double standard in society in how we handle you know specifically in sports you know a lot of the feeling comes from these are young rich minorities and people do not want to have them fe- to to almost have them feel like they're they're invincible or they have unlimited power. Why do you think that double standard exists?
1: You know, it's weird. I think in our society, at the top of income, we respect and admire those folks. And I think we strive to be like them. But when somebody has shifted income classes in yep. their lifetime- we compete with them because we feel like they took from us an opportunity we could have had, even though it wasn't our opportunity to begin with. So I think there's this sense of resentment we tend to build with people who get out of the circumstance that we were born into versus people that were born wealthy. We strive to emulate them in so many ways. It's it's like a really weird kind of almost Stockholm syndrome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it it is fascinating and i also think like you said the accountability factor right for we we sports fans so let's focus in on that is a lot of the issues come with the difference between good organizations and bad organizations and how do we set standards in which organizations are held to standards where they have to compete you know that they have to so many ish back underlying issues with revenue sharing and not having to necessarily put the most competitive product out on the court and always working in your best interests financially versus putting out the best product on the court is also seems to be an issue that is starting to impact the relationship between players and organizations.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I totally agree. Man. So, uh, you know, I should have taken the bait earlier when you talked about the weather in Ohio, by the way. Yeah. But um, have you heard about the stuff in Texas?
0: Course, man. I'm connected to it. Family members are, are down there. People I'm, you know, I care about are down in, in Texas right now, in freezing temperatures. Mind you, this is not something they're used to dealing with or they know how to handle like people up north do. In the midst of that, right? They decide the the power grid, and this is the energy capital of America, Texas, right? That's where all the energy comes from the power grid freaking fails right like this is Ameri- like again it's, i feel like i keep having to ask myself this question is like this is america right you <laughs> know this is something you expect in in less developed nations but you don't expect something like this to happen here i mean literally people have been without power in 3 degree temperatures in texas with no power
1: yeah Dude, and is it down in Houston? Because I one of my friends in Houston Dallas- and,
0: Houston and Austin and okay. Dallas are all facing this issue. It's the entire tech, state of Texas power grid.
1: Does it get that cold in Texas?
0: Very rarely. Wow. Rarely.
1: So Very, this is rarely. not- Because I, I saw pictures of a foot of snow in Dallas.
0: Yeah, it does not. You'll see snow every now and again, maybe once every couple of years. Temperatures will get down to the 30s maybe- but you don't see this where you've got negative negative temperatures ever down in
1: same thing happened in Atlanta um, you know years back when I lived there and we had snow these the southern cities do a terrible job with their infrastructure for you know anything that could could happen infrequently,
0: yeah, they do, and it's like you know at a certain point you know this is a larger conversation that you know I like to have with you offline is the frustrating the frustrating state of America's infrastructure overall, right? Like why do we not invest in improving things like other countries, well-developed nations do? It's like a lot of our stuff is stuck in the world war II era. Right. And it's like, these are important things. Yeah. I know this is like a rare occurrence and it's only going to be a few days and people will get over it. But the truth is there are many elderly people in Houston who and Austin who are stuck and don't know what to do and there are issues that will come up like frostbite and things that come up when you're dealing with the stress of of dealing with this at least have a a plan in place
1: yeah seriously
0: for for things this is again i go back to this is america and our expectations and our standards as citizens should be rightfully higher we pay more in taxes than other people do and this country needs to do a better job of making sure things are structured in a way that we don't face these problems and we don't face global embarrassment in situations like this, right? It's it's embarrassing more than anything else.
1: Yeah, 100%. So, um, you know, I, I want to jump topics from the order that we had because we're talking about some government stuff. Yeah. Um you, you had found this one, V, but about Mina Harris, Kamala Harris's niece. Um, the White House lawyers sent her a letter telling her to stop using Kamala Harris's name yep. to uh, because she, they felt she was benefiting from her, from her aunt's name uh, with her personal brand and with a business she runs. And by the way, I have never heard of Mina Harris before today.
0: Either, I mean, I've heard the name, but I didn't know much about her.
1: Yeah. So, what's your take,
0: <sighs> man? It's this is something that I I wrestle with. First of all, I applaud um, the White House and Joe Biden for taking a position, saying that we do not want anyone to we we have to move away from this last administration. And the self serving nature of it, at least in terms of how we present ourselves to society and how our family members present ourselves to society. This is something that I wrestle with deeply because where do you separate, right? Like the rules and guidelines that go with public officials and leveraging that fame from the rules of general society, right? And capitalism and do whatever it is that you need to do. so long as you're not breaking any laws or doing anything illegal. Um, so I wrestle with that. And I even wrestled with it. You know, I, I had in a little bit of an issue in January when, during the midst of this pandemic, um, Barack Obama decided to release a $50, $50 book um, to, to put out and, and generate millions of dollars from, right? It's like the biggest thing is represent what you preach and if you represent what you preach then it won't be as big of an issue if you are a free market like i can leverage my brand any way i want to so long as you're not browbeating other people who are doing the same thing then there isn't an issue but i do take issue because i feel like public officials in the presidency and the vice presidency Are positions that should not be impacted by fame and money grabbing. I don't think it should. And also, I also do not, I'm not a big advocate, and I see this in the sports world as well of family members who do not provide their own specific value, leveraging someone else's value in the marketplace. To create value from themselves. And I want to be very clear in how I am saying this. There are family members. If you are a lawyer and you are a marketing expert and one of your family members becomes successful, then yes. But if you have no skill set in certain things and you are certainly suddenly taking positions of power only because of the power that someone in your family has with no skill and no background in that, that's problematic and isn't. Isn't good for the system overall. I hope. So, I hope that. I hope what I said makes sense. I don't know if it does.
1: I have the exact opposite perspective on this one, and this is what I love. Um, I think the White House Counsel can go shove it up their ass because you don't get elected unless you ride on someone else's name. Like how many times did we hear Obama during the early Democratic presidential debates from Biden and everything? that Obama had accomplished taking credit for how many times has Kamala in her path up brought up other shit from stuff. She was partially, or maybe had no involvement with, but her name was tied in some way and taking credit from it. Right. I have no problem with somebody who owns some brand. She it's called phenomenal. Phenomenal some brand that I've never heard of, I have no problem with her talking about how it's black and brown owned and they're all about like, you know, whatever she stands for because you're tying your values to a family member who actually represents something to society and to your target market, you know? So it's like, as a public official.
0: I think, again, it goes back to what is the message that you specifically are trying to send, right? Biden in his campaign said that you know, the president Trump and his children were self-serving in how they approach the president. This is a public office. The people who are involved in a public office need to understand and respect the difference between that and the free market. So long as that is your position. Again, like that's why I said practice what you preach. So if that is what he's preaching, he kind of needs to go him and the administration, VP VP Harris need to all kind of get in line to represent that. If that is actually something that you say, you can't have holes in that system. And they actually, it wasn't just her, they they, they also sent the letter to Joe Biden's brother who has been leveraging the fact that his brother is president in the ads down in Florida for his law firm, right? So it becomes, it's what you don't want to have happen. And I understand the the macro part of this is that you do not want yourself and public officials to be compromised and that's one of the biggest issues that we have with our public officials is that they are compromised by these lobbyists and everyone for self-interest at a certain point we have to understand when you sign up for government and you are a public official the rules are your salary and what you need to do to make things better for your state otherwise don't sign up for that job so i actually have a great deal of Respect for it. And and honestly, there's nothing that they can do to really stop her. Right. But this is really about saying that we're not okay with it. And this isn't something we're okay with. VP Harris isn't okay with and and President Joe Biden isn't okay. So
1: here's the flip, right? If you're not related, you can leverage their names and they're fine with it. So why should being related to somebody be a disadvantage to you?
0: It shouldn't be a disadvantage to you. It shouldn't. But what what is happening here is that if your, your loved one is the vice president of the United States of America, and you know how much criticism and how sensitive that position is already, I'm not saying you have to, but perhaps you should be a little bit more careful in making sure that Stones can't be cast, and it doesn't look like you know, to
1: me, the whole thing just looks like virtue signaling, just on a bigger scale. It just feels like you know, no real, it doesn't feel like it means anything. It feels like just a blank action that you know is against people that are in your family. Like, that's crazy. Couldn't you just give them a phone call if you really meant it? That's the thing that gets
0: me. I think that's been done. I think that's been
1: done. Has it? Because if you have a family member. And you call them, like, I, there's there's no she said way. That
0: she, was gonna, she said that she was going to take her off the website. She didn't take her off the website. I mean, the thing is, I don't really care enough about her because it's kind of, a, it's, if, if you're to, to make this a huge deal, but I do think, like you said, it is virtue signaling. It is important. I personally think it is important for our, our public officials to have stricter rules. And if we have to overcorrect overcorrect the issue by doing things like that go to like this to kind of signal that hey this isn't okay in public office it isn't okay to just leverage the president's name to and and it's also an issue that this administration already has dealt with 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 Bo Biden, right? So they are extremely sensitive. To- I, I
1: I hear you, but this I in my eyes, this is not an issue that has to do with um whether or not a rules being broken. This has to do with making sure it doesn't look like there's rules being broken because all of these families break all of these rules all the time. They just don't want the general public to know about it anymore. That's where the Trump administration messed up in their whole, whole run of things is they showed a lot of the corruption that goes on in the White House, in politics, in Congress. And to now... Put out these statements and you know aggressively go after people that really aren't worth going after, right, or to make it a thing in the news media is to me just a sign of the amount of corruption that is going to happen the second you know we're looking away like the whole thing's a magic trick, like look at this this girl Mina Harris like she's doing all of this stuff. Oh, by the way, we just pulled in ten million dollars in our pocket while you weren't looking that's what's happening right now, and that's the part of this that. I can't really appreciate. So I don't feel that, you know, there is a higher standard for political officials to be held to because it's impossible to hold them to it because they're the ones who do the holding.
0: Of course. Right. But how do you fix, you know, and this is our biggest thing is how do you fix a system versus a symptom? Right. And I think overall, you know, I think Joe Biden means well. Right, I think oh, him,
1: for, for sure. I for think sure.
0: he he has a certain degree of respect for the office, what it means to be a public official that I think is dying more and more as our system changes and the and the feedback loop of what is valuable and how you win changes. I do think that it is it is the idea of setting the standard is valuable. Now, throwing this this poor. I don't, she's definitely not poor, but this uh, <laughs> this girl under the bus um, to do that, I definitely don't think that that is the right way to do it. But what is the right way to do it? Because I do think at a certain point, it isn't okay to do it either way, whether we're looking or not. Like The standards of our public officials and our presidency need to be improved because everyday Americans still, it is February... When are we recording this show? February sixteenth, and we still have not. Americans who are struggling have not received a stimulus check. So yeah, you're, you're you're talking about impeachment trials. You're talking about all this stuff. This system is completely broken. And I do think one of the things that can be done is, even if it is symbolic, right, to set a standard of saying that is not okay. And you're right. Maybe he's he's overdoing it or maybe he's, it's not going to be effective. And maybe, I
1: think, I think, you know, what would be symbolic would be, you know, people taking their personal assets off the table who are in office or even for Kamala to relinquish name and image rights. If she I, wanted to. I, I, that's
0: what I think. And then that's what she said. She wants to be able to, I, to do, I feel like it's a very, very unfair and corrupt thing to do if you get the benefits, because when you become the president of the United States, the type of power that you have, things are not always now based on, you know, a lot of things that you're able to do and profit off of are simply because what people want from you, right. And the potential favor you can do. For sure. For sure. So to absolve them from being able to personally benefit, and this doesn't just apply to presidents, but it applies to senators, it applies to representatives, that if we held them to a different standard, then the right people would start coming into office and not the wrong but
1: people. But don't confuse virtuous virtue signaling for actually holding a standard is what I'm saying. Because if they actually wanted this done, it would have been done behind closed doors. They didn't want it done. They didn't want to actually create an outcome here. They wanted to show the world that they stood for something that they don't actually stand for. And that's my problem with the whole action is that if... They really didn't want Kamala to be involved at all with any of this stuff that her niece is doing. Her niece would be immediately taking all that stuff off her site. They have way heavier things that they can do than get the White House counsel to draft and draft a letter and then leak it to the press.
0: The truth is I don't you don't you never know who's leaking stuff and why they're leaking it. So I'm not gonna just say, hey, this is this is why they did it maybe they did want to keep this under wraps and a rogue white house official leaked it we don't know and that's the problem with with media too is that people who work within the walls of the white house and people who work who work within media these are the type of stories that they look I for d-
1: i don't know man it's hard to it's hard to have somebody go rogue in the first month in office is my point of view it's uh, having been part of so many different press campaigns I know what I'm putting out, when and why. And I only put out things. There's some things that I'll share that I only share for a certain reaction. right? And this is one of those things. This is a game that they're playing. It has nothing to do with what they stand for. And that's why I get so frustrated with politics. Because it's a bunch of people that just play on people's feelings, that act like they stand for something, and really just don't have a spine at the end of the day. And I mean, to your point, you know, we have a system full of those people. We got to get them all out.
0: That's why I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all, you know, in terms of what you just said, you know, I'm on the same page with you, but I'm open to seeing, even if it's just, I'm open to hearing about meaningful change. um, Because the truth is that this is a system that is broken. We're all facing the consequence of it. Everyone is enraged and outraged, and you have a whole bunch of people who are just playing, like you said, playing a game based on what they think people want to hear, based on what they think will get them reelected, not about how do we fix this fucking power grid in Texas that's causing millions of people not to have power in frigid cold. That's not the issue. All they do all day long, this impeachment trial is the priority. This is something that we're talking about in the first 30 days of your presidency like fuck this guy he's out of office let him go sit in his his float we have bigger fish to fry bigger problems to deal with as i said they still have not sent out these stimulus checks
1: there's a whole lot that has yet to be done and that's we're not
0: recovering we're not recovering we're not doing we're not addressing the first bill that should have been if if this administration was serious a comprehensive infrastructure bill because our bridges are cu- crumbling our roads are are damaged our train system is hundreds of years behind our it's like come on now we look we look foolish while you guys sit here and talk about impeaching impeaching a clown you know who's probably going to write a a former
1: president yeah. you know what i mean like it's over
0: like you beat him like what what, (laughs) why are you still talking about him you know and i understand the fear of potentially him running again but if just beat him again
1: yeah i don't yeah i I don't understand how that fear is worth more than the four years of time you have to do something
0: and and the duplicity is so funny because it's like the, the whole mitch mcconnell thing was so funny to me and it's another exposure it's like you won't vote to impeach the guy, but you say he deserves to be impeached. Yeah. Like the reason that you didn't impeach him is because you are kind of playing both sides because oh, you are sure. like, you're like, he might be our presidential candidate. He might give us the best chance of winning again four years from now. So we don't want to take that away, but then you're going to browbeat him when you don't vote. Like shut the fuck up. I was dude. telling
1: a friend, if, um, if I were to run a political party, I I would want Mitch McConnell at the helm because that party is going to be everywhere, man.
0: Yeah, that guy he knows that how guy to knows, play the game. You know, that's the thing. He shows you, like, if you really want to understand everything that's wrong with the system and every, why it works the way and it is. And how
1: to exploit it.
0: Study, study Mitch McConnell, study Dick Cheney, and you'll understand. And study Rahm Emanuel. Yeah. You know, to be yeah. fair to both sides, right?
1: Yeah, straight <laughs> up i mean you'll see it on both sides and it's it's some people are just better at covering it up than other people
0: yeah they are but it's 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 silly and it just sucks for most people because your only way to liberate yourself from being enslaved to the political system is to create financial freedom for yourself financial freedom doesn't mean having a hundred million dollars but enough money where you're not enslaved and you're not whether they send you this fourteen hundred dollar check or not, it's not going to prevent you from taking care of your family, and that's that's what I hope to encourage people to do: is to find out as many different ways to not be enslaved or indebted uh, to a system or someone else for your success or failure.
1: Hundred percent. So you know, I think that brings us to a couple of the pop culture pieces that we want to touch on before we get into a deeper discussion that we have saved yeah. for you guys um you want to you want to kick it out that here? one was pretty deep
0: though
1: yeah that one was pretty deep but we're gonna go i think we're gonna get a little l- little deeper a I little mean, I think that the tells rampant. the
0: warm-up it, yeah. it got us both Woo! worked up man
1: yeah i got the practice shots I'm up
0: preparing i'm preparing for when i come out there you kind of you called me out the other day for a fight so when <laughs> for the uh when when i saw you training in mayweather you
1: i did call you out because <laughs> you were like you were you said you commented some feedback yeah, and I was just
0: giving you some feedback, man.
1: I know. I wanted to make sure that I responded to that feedback with a challenge by questioning your ability to give feedback. <laughs> oh,
0: <laughs> I told you I don't fight fair, man. I, I I'm, a, I'm I'm I, I will fight fair with somebody who's my size, but if you're you anything, know over yeah. over 180 pounds, I can't fight fair. So. I'm
1: not over 180.
0: Okay, then I'll fight you fair.
1: Yeah, but yeah. you know what, man? Like that actually that moment was very similar to what we were talking about before the podcast which is how do you deal with people giving you advice yeah. that you know you don't necessarily like need or care for right yeah and it's like people like to do that like for good reasons and for bad reasons and just for joking reasons yeah and so it's like how like with you I was like oh he's just messing with me so no. I was trying to get you back I was um, you. but it's interesting to kind of go through that experience. And uh, you know, find the different ways in which you can respond to somebody telling you what to do.
0: Definitely. I mean, a hundred percent. Either if you can train yourself to not emotionally respond to feedback, good or bad, you will grow. Yeah. And and, and it's a hard thing to do. And we preach it, but we're still working on it ourselves. So yeah, all keep day working on it. Yeah. Um, but let's 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 talk about these pop culture culture items. So I know we've spent most of our lives hearing about Biggie and Tupac. And it's like, can we have another documentary or movie about their death or their life or anything like that? But this one is interesting. Netflix is putting together a documentary on the Biggie Smalls phenomenon, his actual backstory, not so much focusing on his death, but his life Um, and the cultural phenomenon of how he just literally... Came, you know, they always say an overnight success story takes years, but literally, Biggie's success story was an overnight phenomenon in terms of how he went from a guy on the corner to rap's next superstar on the level of a Tupac who had put in years and years of grind to even get to that level. Um, And I think it's a, I'm excited about it. I'm a Biggie fan. I don't know if you've, uh, I know he's a little bit past. Little bit past your your these guys
1: passed away when I was like eight.
0: Yeah. But these guys all they stayed relevant. Their music and their I mean I've
1: listened to a lot of Biggie and Pac for sure, but this this type of documentary is what I need. Even watching the last dance, it was like I wasn't I was not like able to watch sports and take it in through Jordan's whole career. So to see it retold in that way was the right way for me to appreciate it. And yeah, I was hoping that Tiger Doc would do the same thing. That one but kind of
0: fell on No, its- that was terrible. That was all about the drama. And-
1: they were hating so hard.
0: Yeah, it was so- like, why are you spending the whole first episode talking about his dad cheating on his
1: yeah like, how they're that, trying to set the precedent for why tiger cheated and it's like yeah couldn't it's not like, care less like show me his golf
0: yeah tell me how he became a good golfer first maybe spend an episode later on about that yeah when, when he falls the fall and explain the backstory there but yeah don't start out the documentary in episode one that and that's exactly why you're why i like this documentary and you know we were talking about a little bit off air is i feel like Our culture has shifted so much, even in terms of art, where we're not appreciating artists anymore for their actual talent. It's how do they generate attention and what are they doing in their personal lives that matters. And that's not what we should be listening to music for. That's not why we should be paying attention to musical artists. And I'm really hoping that this documentary showcases a story of someone who who made it based on the merit of their talent um, and earned, earned their superstardom. Um, I think it's important for people to keep, keep seeing that feedback loop and seeing an extended period. I hope it's not just people in in our demographic that are watching it. I hope some of these younger kids are watching it too.
1: Yeah, I'm sure they will. Uh, do you know when it comes out?
0: I think March 1st. That's
1: the trailer exciting. trailer
0: looks really good.
1: That's and exciting.
0: It, and Puffy's involved with it. And, Love or hate Puffy, most of the things he does are good. So,
1: yeah, awesome. Uh, also recently released with an awesome soundtrack Judas and the Black Messiah.
0: Yeah, did you get a chance to watch that?
1: Not yet, did you?
0: Yeah, I watched it because you know, as Fred, the Fred Hampton story is a and is something that I was aware of before, uh, before this. And it's it's a specific story that I remember when I when I studied it and was studying that era of America really, really bothered me um, because I'm somebody who believes in the idea of not separation, but unification. And Fred Hampton, I think was a powerful figure because he understood that. And that's what he was trying to do is understanding that regardless of your race, your religion, that there is this shared struggle that people in America are, are facing that the power structure continues to accentuate and to see how rapidly the power structure first picked up on it. Cause this guy was going into like white power meetings and finding ways to connect with those people. He was going into gang gangs in, in Chicago and finding a way to connect with them for them to take him out. They recognized it very early and this guy literally was taken out at 21, 21 years old. That's like, insane, you, you know. And so it's a powerful story. And then also the the Judas aspect of it, right? The whole idea of that. If you don't, if you haven't spent time understanding and why people have the fear of government that they have, like really understand what J. Edgar Hoover was responsible for, right? From if you really look into that, and this isn't just conspiracy theory. These are the documents that have been released about the type of conspiracies that the FBI was was executing under J Edgar Hoover you understand why the citizens have a healthy distrust and it's like you understand freedom of speech and you're like this guy well, all he was doing was speaking his mind and organizing like why were you so fearful of it you know um and and that's the question i think that's healthy ask i know you haven't seen it but i know you are familiar with these these cultural phenomena. And it's just it's disappointing to see throughout our history as a country how much we have stifled what we preach, we care about, which is free speech.
1: Yeah. The thing that I heard that that stood out is that he was able to unite the extremes on both sides of the aisle. Yes. And I think that's uh, you know, that's a really powerful skill because it means you're really speaking to the core of people and not just about an ideology. And we saw in this last election, both sides have very troubled extremes that really align on a lot of things, but their political views aren't very sophisticated; they're just more looking for attention and looking for somebody to you know represent them
0: yep, and that's why I had so much admiration for him because you can find holes in a lot of even the figures that we admire as they gain power um you saw them be compromised, and this is a guy maybe he would have been if they let him make it to forty. You know, but I doubt it, right? Because what he was preaching was authentic and true, and he already had shown that he was willing to pay the price several ways. Him and Ali are kind of guys that I really, really have the most respect for in that era because they really practiced what they preached.
1: Yeah, it's such a, it's crazy, you know, at this age going back through that era of history because uh, the textbooks we were taught that era of history from didn't represent it like this. They didn't yeah. represent the truth by any means. And it's powerful to understand that even in the U S even where it's, it's free, the yeah. government has a say on how you're told certain things. And there's a pretty crooked history that it's important to know about and understand to build what you're talking about, V, that healthy distrust.
0: Yes. Yes. And you know, it's the unfortunate truth of power and systems of power. Yeah right it's like you have to maintain that power and it's hard not to get emotional about these things like when you see it but understanding it will help you adjust to what reality is it doesn't mean you know that uh, that that you can you have to be upset all the time but just have a healthy understanding of how do we keep people in power in check
1: yeah absolutely so now we move into the you know featured discussion topic of the day. Uh, v, yeah. you want to preface this one? You've been you've been you know on this. Um, I,
0: topic I've been, for a I'm of prefacing weeks. it because i I've, in your commentary quite a bit. I'm this theme seemed like it's something that I think we needed to talk about um, so that people fully understood our per, both of our perspectives generally on. On society and and how we approach things um, and I think you know the topic of course is cancel culture um, and kind of not just painting a, a broad brush of it it's something that's been talked about a lot there are, if you google it there are tons of stories done by students at Berkeley and Harvard on cancel culture whether it's effective or not but I just thought that you and I could have a healthy discussion on on the subject, whether it's effective, the pros and cons of it um and and our personal views on it as well, so I think that's a good way to preface it. I'll kind of hand it off to you now to kind of uh give your your general general view on it, and then we can dig deeper. I'll give my general view on it as well
1: okay um cancel culture for me is. It's the same thing that I was railing on, you know, the White House counsel and yes. whoever was handling that for. Yes. Um, when you virtual sig- virtue signal, it's a meaningless gesture to me. Yeah. Always, because I only care about what you do, not what you say you're going to do. Yeah. And so I think it's important for the listeners to know that we took one of our topics off of the agenda today that we were yep. going to talk about. And I'm not even going to say which one. Yeah. The reason it's important to know that because that's what true canceling looks like. You don't yep. say a word and you move on with your life because it's not worth talking about. Yep. But when you talk about it and you outright go after somebody to, you know, hurt them or ruin their life in some way because you don't like something they said or did, that's irresponsible to me and it's it's living in bad faith amongst society. It's it's not a way that I believe in living. Because I think you should treat other people kindly. You should treat them positively. And even if you disagree with them, you should look for common ground when you have the opportunity to interact. But going after somebody and and going to the extent where you know you're trying to take their career away from them is rough. And I think there's times where Like in the past with the Me Too movement, it was important to bring all of that out to the forefront. And it was important to expose what was actually happening in Hollywood. But I think that you have to be very conscious of where the line is because there were some victims that were taken under fire after the Me Too movement that probably didn't deserve it.
0: Yeah. Well said. Well said. And you know, I'm not... um I'm not much in disagreement at all in terms of how I view things personally and what's right and what's wrong. Now, with that said, you know, to paint some color in terms of sympathy and understanding of why cancel culture exists, right? It's because going back to the Fred Hampton thing, people who have been oppressed for decades and centuries suddenly found a vehicle which they felt like. They had some power. They had a voice in which they could speak up about something that if they didn't speak up about, it would just get brushed under the rug by the system. Right. So, and then also the psychological impact of that oppression in terms of your behavior, your emotional reaction, your emotional triggers to certain things. Right. And the problem that exists now is that there is not a filter, right? And before Twitter and all these mediums existed, if you saw something that pissed you off or someone that pissed you off, you had a conversation about it (laughs) with someone else. You didn't immediately go with what your emotions tell you to do, which is to put out a statement in 140 characters. And the truth is all these topics around which we are canceling people for we are doing a disservice to by talking about them in 140 characters or less you know you yeah. and i talk about the system versus symptom and so every time we get outraged about an individual first of all celebrities do not matter all that much societally in terms of how they behave should not be the standards that we set for general society, first and foremost. They are a small percentage of the population. Their standards and rules are very different than ours. So it's very easy for us as the oppressed and people who don't necessarily live this, this life of a celebrity to, to to get emotionally triggered when we see something go wrong in their lives. But they don't matter all that much. The second part of this is that you need to have a system of communication and conversation to actually fix issues you don't get it by drawing a line in the sand and canceling an individual because when you just cancel an individual suddenly now it's like oh the solution was there you canceled and solved a symptom one individual like I'll give the example of that lady that we saw um, in the park uh, talking to the guy the the I forget the, the The birth of the karen right the dog incident yeah yeah she got canceled and we felt better for a moment but is that changing how other people are behaving actually people who think like that now are doubling down on their behavior and figuring out other ways they want to enhance it because now they're pissed off the same thing with when and it's and it's unbelievable like Some of these things are great. Like We wouldn't have seen a lot of these police killings and, and, and things come to light. But okay, once we see those things, how is the dialogue and conversation set up from once we see them to once we see the solution? Yeah. And quite frankly, when you address the symptom, it's not addressing the system. We have systemic issues around all of these things, the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement that aren't being handled because we're just always focusing and individualizing it versus looking at it from a macro perspective. And if we're not looking at things from a macro perspective, we're just going to keep dealing with these things over and over and over again. We're not going to solve any of them. That's my kind of issue with it and why it bothers me.
1: Yeah, what I think too, I mean with um with the amount of exposure we have on social media, we're more you know exposed to the inequality that that exists in this country than we've ever been. Yeah. So I think that definitely plays into things. Um I hesitate to go systemic because I define systemic as purely the rules of the system and I don't have necessarily a solution on what I would change. So it's hard for me to claim that there's a systemic problem. But I feel that the problems we have are very human-centric in terms of the evolution of a society. So, you know, it it can go a few ways. I think the friction is good for growth of society because it's bringing about these conversations. But ultimately, it's teaching us that the only way to resolve conflict is to talk about it and to talk about it empathetically. So, you know, if somebody's upset and they're going way across the line the other solution is remove yourself from that situation and move on with your life because it's just not worth the energy
0: yeah there's certain and, and at least have a filter there are certain things that have happened that are worth us talking about they definitely are but ask yourself why you're why you're talking about something is it mm-hmm. is it because you want the attention and the feedback loop that comes with jumping on a mountain that's moving or a moving train of 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 outrage? Are you really outraged? Yeah. Are you Are you asking yourself these basic questions? And if you are outraged, is your outrage justified in every situation? You know. And and then what are the consequences? Finally, what are the consequences of your outrage? For example, I, I was reading about the canceling of R. Kelly and Michael Jackson, and uh, as far as I saw on social media, everyone was saying they were canceled, right? Because R. Kelly, the R. Kelly documentary came out and people were like so disgusted by what he did. But the next day, his streams went up by 4 million. So how is that an effective use of social media? The outrage sometimes actually leads to an equal and opposite reaction that's dangerous. That's also with our president, right? It's every time someone responded and was upset at Donald Trump, what happened? Donald Trump's followers went up. More people listen to Donald Trump. Media talked about Donald Trump more. If they did what you just said, like what we did, which is just ignore the guy, he would have never been president of our country.
1: Yeah. You yeah, know? 100%. And, but they did it for the views and they propped up his platform. And mm-hmm. to your point, that's it's an egocentric decision when you yeah. choose to talk about, it's about you at that point. It's not about them or what they're doing or what they're not doing or what you feel like they should be doing, but it's about you wanting to prove that you're better than somebody. That's yep. like the core emotion in cancel culture is that yep. I'm better than these people. And I mean, I would say you're not, You know, yep. especially if you're going to go after them digitally as opposed to in person.
0: Yep. If you, if you took whatever your feelings are, and you expounded on him, and this is, you know, why there's. I feel like there's a lot of ineffective, um, ineffectivity or ineffectiveness with cancel culture. Right? Is that if you take that same outrage and you organize a thousand people to send a letter to your local congressman or send a letter to the media outlet that is covering these people? do it in do it that way as opposed to once you put it out on twitter and it starts getting engagement these media outlets can capitalize on it it can be monetized and why would anyone why would anyone go away from something that that's profitable in our
1: culture yeah
0: you know and that's that's it it's like let's have conversations i feel i'm annoyed and you face this annoyance too because neither one of us really tries to take a position, a hard line position on anything. We try to understand problems more than we try to take positions. And I feel like cancel culture is an extension of what our culture is becoming, which is everyone's looking to have an opinion on something versus trying to understand a problem. And that is why there are so many lines and drawn in the sand. We don't talk to each other anymore. It's okay. You voted for Donald Trump. So you're in this group automatically that represents all of these things. Okay. You voted for Joe Biden. You represent all of these things versus even asking the question, why did you vote for Donald Trump? Why did you vote for Joe Biden? That question isn't even asked. It's immediately people are boxed in to a situation based on things like that. And that's, that's not healthy for society. The studies are, are vast and deep. This isn't a, a healthy phenomenon.
1: Well, and here's, here's the extent to which I've seen it too, just to add on to this. the um, Before the Super Bowl, somebody and after somebody that I follow on social media was posting um, you know, very angry messages about Tom Brady because mm-hmm. Tom voted for Trump. I don't really understand why that matters nor why I should care because it's not like I am taking political advice from Tom Brady I am watching him because he's the greatest quarterback to ever play the game of football and I like watching that I don't give a shit what he thinks about in his free time about politics or whatever I admire what he's done with TB12 you know I admire that he's had a consistent home life for the duration of his career you know these are these are some solid things but these, the fire that I saw behind this person showed me that they were more angry about their inability to have a voice to change the world. And they were projecting that onto everybody that differed in a viewpoint from them and characterizing essentially one action to summarize a person's entire being. Which the other thing, yeah.
0: If you all, we all live in glass houses. If anybody put a microscope under any one of our lives and evaluated every single one of our actions, I I I guarantee you, someone would find something to take issue with in society, based on even if they based and also you can capture a moment of something. It may not represent the whole context of the situation, but you can capture a specific moment, and suddenly that represents more than what you said and also to take your point with tom brady a little bit further is that he never came out and said that he voted for donald trump there was a hat a make america in the background in the background and mm-hmm. if you understand how locker rooms and, and football culture works a lot of times packages are sent to players they open them in their in their locker and maybe that was the package that was sent and was up there nobody even bothered to ask him a deeper question on his position if if Tom Brady holds racist views right then Plus that isn't he's
1: been in the game so long he was in the game if, when Trump was
0: cool so it's like if 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 there are specific things that Trump represents like white supremacy that Tom Brady is in line with ask him those questions yeah. and find out those answers that matter because if he does hold those views then no he doesn't have he doesn't. He shouldn't have the right to leverage his career using coworkers that are predominantly black um, that don't hold those views. Then there is a problem there. But you can't get to the problem if you assume without digging deeper and asking questions. And there's a press conference that these guys do ask the real questions, ask questions that matter, and then develop an opinion. Don't do it based on the fact that he had. I happen to have a hat in his locker. There are so many explanations for that that that, that they could be deeper
1: yeah man and i mean i think the biggest thing that we're seeing that social media has enabled is it's enabled so many people to have a voice and have the ability to curate dialogue but to have that ability as a byproduct not of their wisdom not of their experience or expertise but Simply because they're able to get people to follow them, right? And that skill set there doesn't require wisdom. It doesn't require, um, you know, judicious um, um, thoughts. It doesn't require good judgment or fairness or, you know, essential human values that we yep. prioritize in terms of what it means to be a good person. But that to me is is really what has instigated this whole kind of wave of social media that we're on it's why I deleted my Twitter because I just didn't feel like it was a place where I could go in and come back out and still be as positive as I am yeah and you know I mean it's interesting like i I find myself now really really working hard to get away from social media and to get away from other people's judgments and opinions and essentially character failings that I'm being I have to deal with because they want to throw it at me. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, I I think that's the challenge of this whole evolution in cancel culture is that if somebody else is missing something or hasn't dealt with their shit, you're likely gonna deal with it if you came across them digitally.
0: Yeah. I mean, trust me, you know, you know how I felt about uh about social media and my engagement with it, but I think it's also part of the reason why we've we spend our time take time out of our schedule to create this platform is because it does infuriate and annoy us to see how dialogue is happening in society because it's inefficient it doesn't it doesn't lead to results it doesn't create meaningful and positive change if all we're doing is being pissed off at each other and drawing lines in the sand you know and how do we change that i don't know if we can reverse course from here through social definitely not through social media but it can be done through meaningful dialogue and and kind of changing the narrative you know when people you know even with the podcast people are like well some of the feedback i guess you guys should shorten some of your takes it's like if we have something to say and we're going to give it context. We're not going to try to do everything in a hundred characters or less because we understand that to fully understand our positions on things, you can't do it always in a hundred characters or less.
1: You know. By the way, thank you to anybody still listening. <laughs> it's not like we're dwindling; we are growing. But thank you. You know that, yeah. like, we appreciate the fact that we can be really ourselves, and and you guys actually give a shit to to be listening. An hour in.
0: Definitely. I mean, that's, that is the key and why I think a lot of people also struggle on social media. Yeah. Broadcast, broadcast who you are. Don't worry about the feedback loop and focus on the people who care. And the truth is that you don't need millions of people to care about you. Yeah. And that is the, the misperception that's had on, on, social media the greater number of followers that you have the more likely a greater percentage of those people dislike you because that is what that culture is they will follow someone just to chastise and hope for one minute of that person's life they get their attention and make them feel bad yeah so you know that that is that is the takeaway just keep keep Figuring yourself out, study and understand culture. No position that I take, even when I'm wrong. I don't I can be wrong and I can be corrected on certain things, but I try not to make sure that my positions are formulated through understanding of the perspective outside of my own. Yeah. And that's why I'm able to hold strong opinions because I'm able to I look at the other side and say, why do they think? Way that
1: Plus we. you should be open that even if you're holding a strong opinion and someone makes a better argument, you should be able to say, huh, okay, you're right. I changed my view.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which we, we both do a lot.
0: We we try, you know, that's the key. We don't always do it. we we're victims of our own ego still, you know. We're still trying to master our own egos and, and get to that full point of humility because it is it is work because
1: yeah, when someone's constant. Said, constant awareness
0: because it is what happens neurologically immediately when someone says something you disagree with your immediate reaction is to to get defensive and
1: talk and not ask a question
0: yeah and it's like you actually have to learn to to digest that defense mechanism take a moment pause and then respond and it's it's uh it takes mastery that's why there's there are only so many Buddhist monks walking around this earth, right
1: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, and I think there's an in between ground where you can still, without renouncing the pleasures of life, you know, still have a a pleasant life,
0: yeah, yeah and uh, and to 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 just paint this broad picture of like cancel culture is the worst thing ever, like we. We understand that that is a product of not these individuals or any individual, but some troubling things within our society, you know? Um, And those troubling things are the reason that we have the problems that we have and we're as divided as we are as a country. If it was effective, all this stuff was truly effective, then why do we not have happier lives why isn't our news covering more positive things why is it that we as human beings love the negativity so much
1: yeah straight up
0: so just 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 food for thought we kind of went in went in pretty deep on on it hopefully you didn't misunderstand us um or or misconstrue our thoughts and um but if you did
1: we just cancel us <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll get some more listeners finally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man. Let's let's uh move on. It was a good, healthy therapeutic conversation. Hope you got something out of it, Partha. Well, it was good for me.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. And always, you know, to our listeners, the most important thing in life is to be yourself. You as fly.
0: Definitely. Pilot boys out. We'll see you guys next week. Pilot boys be-